is Unladylike. I'm Kristen, and it is time for the latest installment of Ask Unladylike, where I answer listener questions that Google could never. First, though, before I get to two listener advice requests, I have an important letter to read from an unlady named Veronica. Well, the subject line really cuts to the chase. Why aren't you talking about Palestine? As someone who's listened to your show for almost five years, I was looking forward to a conversation on this issue, only to be met by silence so far. And that silence is deafening. I really appreciate Veronica writing in. You could say calling me in. And it wasn't a surprising email at all. The shortest answer to the question of why I haven't addressed it on the podcast is that I first wanted to listen to people who know what the fuck they're talking about with all of this. And I don't mean that as any slight about Veronica at all. What I can offer are other podcast recommendations, podcasts that in this regard deserve a lot of investment. Like, it's not that Unladylike is not the space to talk about these things, but I also think that an important aspect of having a platform is to also direct people to other platforms that deserve the attention. So I will add this list and link out to the podcast in the show notes for this episode. But I have one, two, three, four, five podcasts to recommend. There's five, four podcast, which is typically covering the U.S. Supreme Court in significant cases. But I would highly recommend One of its latest episodes, they released a Patreon episode on its main feed with one of its co-hosts, Rhiannon Hammam, who is a Palestinian legal expert, doing a deep dive on kind of the legal situation in Gaza. Rethinking Palestine is another good primer. It's a monthly podcast. And as of this recording, November's episode hasn't come out. There is also Unsettled. Uh, It was started by some of the lead organizers of If Not Now. They've been speaking with folks on the ground in and around Gaza on the Nose podcast from the leftist Jewish currents. They've also been interviewing organizers from Jewish Voice for Peace, If Not Now, and kind of similar to Unsettled. They've been talking to folks on the ground as well. And then finally... Shout out to Ethnically Ambiguous, the hosts over there, Shireen and Anna. They've been covering it every week on the pod since mid-October. Ethnically Ambiguous is also just a really great podcast if you don't already listen. And in the meantime, unladies, let me know what you want to hear about specifically. It's both black and white and also so fucking layered. Okay, and ladies, this letter comes from an unlady I'm calling Misha. Misha writes, Have you ever done an episode on the word bitch? I got into an argument with my boyfriend recently about the usage of this word, so I would love to hear your thoughts or an episode about this. My boyfriend and his friends, mostly male, but also some females, will use the word bitch as a pejorative term for other men who are being weak, cowardly or annoying. Examples include, bitch, just take the shot, or why are you being a little bitch, 
Emphasis mine. This feels deeply offensive to me because it draws on the fact that bitch is a pejorative for women and when used as an insult towards men feels rooted in the idea that anything female is inferior. However, for some reason, using the word bitch as an insult towards other women feels fine to me. For example, saying she's a bitch about a mean female coworker in the office seems equivalent to saying he's a dick about a mean male coworker. Side note, Misha, I would be careful about getting too gender binaried in your labels here, but I, I get the point you're trying to make. It sounds like a general insult, but doesn't necessarily draw on the idea that women are inferior. My boyfriend claims that the word bitch has become so popularized as a term that it's barely associated with gender, that he and his friends aren't thinking about the word through a gendered construct, and that even his female friends will use the word in the same context. I'm just confused because it's not something I've really encountered with my friend group, so I don't know if I'm being too sensitive or hypocritical. I do believe that he and his friends are not consciously trying to be misogynistic, but it still sounds and feels wrong to me. (sighs) Y'all, I'm not saying this because... You know, Misha did reach out to me, and Misha does listen to this podcast. I'm assuming that her boyfriend doesn't, because if her boyfriend did, her boyfriend might understand Misha's feelings that are happening here. You know, past unladylike guest Sarah Ahmed wrote, well, many books, but her latest book is Feminist Killjoy, and this is one of the features of being a feminist killjoy, of being the one who says, you know what, this this does not feel good or right to me. I am sensing sexism or misogyny either explicitly or implicitly, and you are making that known. You are calling it out. So first of all, I will say, Misha, you're doing the right thing by taking it to your boyfriend and saying, what the fuck? <laughs> and I will say, the thing is, He's not wrong. Like, bitch has become popularized, and its meaning has very much expanded. It can be a term of endearment for a best friend or a full-blown misogynistic and potentially racist epithet to a complete stranger. Like, a bitch can be many things. And I think to really wrap our heads around this, we need to know some bitch etymology, some betchemology. I'm a bitch, I'm a So women have been called bitches since around the 1400s when it originated as a slur referencing promiscuous or sensual women. And the whole dog connection is that apparently uh, dogs are slutty because bitches have whole litters of puppies. But before they get pregnant, they're bitches in heat. I don't know. Humans are weird. But here's the thing. Even back then... It was more of a male-gendered insult. So, Misha, your gut, etymologically at least, is pointing in the right direction. Even if we look at Shakespeare, he uses it only as an insult directed at men. Hamlet, that little bitch, and I quote... It really wasn't until the 18th century that women became bitches. Yes, she can. That she did. So according to the 1785 Classical Dictionary of the Modern Tongue, bitch is, quote, 
The most offensive appellation that can be given to an English woman, even more provoking than that of a whore. Tell us how you really feel. But even back then, bitch as an insult for women was still used quite sparingly. It's not until the 1920s that bitch really goes on the rise. And yes, that timing is significant because uh, what are all those bitches out doing trying to get a vote? So between 1915 and 1930 in literature, that use of bitch became more common. It overtook the canine bitch. And here's a little uh, a little bitch butterfly effect. This forced dog lovers to come up with their own euphemisms for female dogs because they couldn't call dogs bitches anymore without people being like, wait, are you talking about like bitch as in a dog or bitch as in? And so this is what gave way towards like dog s, lady dog, she dog, and my favorite, puppy's mother. <laughs> I think the opposite of a motherfucker is a puppy's mother. <laughs> Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. Hinge is also the only dating app that I consistently hear positive things about from friends of mine. Hinge is great for anyone looking to date with intention. No matter if you're part of the LGBTQIA family or not, Hinge helps you find people you actually like. And now, Hinge has launched their new bisexual preferences. Have y'all heard about this? This update is thanks to Hinge listening to bisexual daters. Their research revealed that they wanted more customization over who they see on dating apps. And so... With the new launch, bi and queer daters can customize preferences for age and height across different genders, making it easier to find what you're looking for. And hey, why not go on some great dates? Because we all deserve to have more control over our dating experience and go on great dates. So download Hinge and find someone worth deleting the app for. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If we jump ahead to the 1960s with second wave feminism, there's also within that a call to reclaim bitch. In 1968, a feminist activist leader, Joe Freeman, published the Bitch Manifesto. Quote, bitches refuse to serve, honor or obey anyone. They demand to be fully functioning human beings, not just shadows. They want to be both female and human. The 1990s, also a bitchy decade. You've got 90s Karens getting very worked up with all of the bitches in rap lyrics. In 1996, third wave feminism getting in on it with the launch of Bitch Magazine. And side note, that is one bitch I do miss. It was this feminist magazine, and the name was explicitly chosen as a reclamation. 
One of its founders, Andy Ziesler, said, we don't get to control who uses it and how. We can only control the way we conceive of it. Which I think is the perfect pivot to mention that in 2000, Trina gave us... And then in 2007, it's Britney, bitch. And I'm not surprised that you you might feel like a bitch hypocrite because as far as who is saying bitch, it is women's number one curse word. And we do tend to say it more often than men. I found a 2020 study out of a university in Sweden analyzing the gender differences in usage. And this is the title. This is the study title on ladies, okay? Gender differences in usage of bitch and cunt across time. So they compared the use of bitch and cunt in 1994 compared to 2014. The use of bitch went up. And the use of cunt went down. And I suspect that the increase in the use of bitch is probably more due to women saying it more often because men's usage over that decade actually decreased. Although, side note, the study found that for men ages 35 to 44, they were saying cunt more. And the finding that I thought was most relevant really to Misha's question was that when bitch is meant in a positive way, it's almost always in reference to a woman. So whenever a cishet man is being called bitch, it is usually not in a positive way. Whereas if a woman is being called bitch, who knows? Could be. And remember, since Shakespeare times, okay, it has been just as weaponized against men as it has towards women. And the thing is, it sounds like, Misha, your boyfriend might not get that, yes, bitch is a casual word these days in a lot of ways, but it isn't neutral, especially when cishet men use it. For one example, here is AOC testifying in Congress in 2020 about a little exchange she had with Florida Representative Ted Yoho. I walked back out and there were reporters in the front of the Capitol and in front of reporters, Representative Yoho called me and I quote, a fucking bitch. These are the words that Representative Yoho levied against a congresswoman. The congresswoman that not only represents New York's 14th congressional district, but every congresswoman and every woman in this country because all of us have had to deal with this in some form, some way, some shape, at some point in our lives. Now, obviously, that kind of bitch, I think your boyfriend would also absolutely agree that is not okay. Here's an older clip of Trevor Noah calling Steve Bannon a little bitch on The Daily Show. Oh, they will have to kill me first. What a little bitch. Why don't you go to, why don't you get into a shootout with the cops? Huh? They have to kill me I mean, first. <laughs> I am inclined to agree. And I can also see how even that feels a little tinged with sexism. An apt comparison that I read was that it's kind of the adult version of saying, 
you throw like a girl or you take shots like a girl or really to be accurate, you take shots like a Kristen because Kristen is terrible at taking shots. We're talking about alcohol shots, right? Or are we talking about basketball shots? Either way, bad at both. Now, if you are talking about basketball shots, then it is also worth noting that masculinity plus sports culture breeds sexist and homophobic shit talk. Yes, in the locker room, but also on the court or the field or the ring or wherever they're playing their little games. Dr. Timothy Jay is a psychology professor who has studied gendered swear words and insults and what he calls fighting words. And what he's found as far as the gender thing goes is that today and in yesteryear, the worst thing for cishet men to call other men is basically not men. Any kinds of insults or even, yes, outright slurs that imply an absence of masculinity or that they are somehow effeminate. You know, that they are not, quote unquote, real men. My gut read, and not knowing your boyfriend and his friends, some of whom are female, when I hear that, I think, yeah, no, cut it out. One, be more creative. It's a lazy insult. It makes you sound basic. And two, I think even more than being insulting to women, It's fucking harmful to other men. Like, this is the kind of everyday bullshit that does help perpetuate toxic masculinity, the kind of masculinity that actively fucks with men. And the men, in turn, fuck with us, (laughs) you know? Now, Misha, you also worry that you are being hypocritical, that you don't have a leg to stand on, perhaps, if, if you call a woman a bitch sometimes, and are then turning around and saying that he can't call his guy friends bitches. I think that if you feel some ick with that as well, then maybe that is some internalized misogyny or sexism that you could nip in the bud. Because there's also research on how women fear the bitch stereotype in the office and how it affects women of color more severely, but also how it can be such a detriment unnecessarily to women's careers if they are simply perceived as bitches, which is also why you have kind of the capitalist reclamation of like, no, I'm a boss bitch. But going back to your example you gave of like, well, I call women bitches, but I call men dicks, and so that should kind of cancel each other out. Why don't you just call everyone an asshole? And I think that that really could solve it. Because everybody can be one, and everyone has one. (laughs) I mean, of all of the, you know, kind of things you can call someone, asshole might be the most equal opportunity. Unless... I can really get puppy's mother off the ground. (laughs) Now, Misha, it's also not your job to change your boyfriend's mind on this. And my advice to you is to propose the asshole sub out to your boyfriend and see what he says. Like, why does it have to be bitch? Stop being a little asshole and take your shot. (laughs) And ask him for his experience, too, because I am curious, like, for him in maybe guys-only kind of spaces, 
Has he encountered bitch being used in a super homophobic kind of way? Like, what does it mean when a guy calls another guy a bitch? And why does it have to be that word? And is that word really the best thing to use? And for you, Misha, again, make the bitch switch to asshole. Misha wasn't the only unlady seeking advice about people who are really taking some liberties with language. Our second letter comes from a listener named Kelsey, and Kelsey writes, I have a question for the podcast. How do you ask friends that you aren't close with to not say the R word? They aren't saying it maliciously or toward anyone, but it comes up in their conversation regularly to say, that's so stupid. I'm neurodivergent and have a processing disorder. I don't really openly talk about how my brain works, so my friends probably don't know. It's still hurtful when someone uses that word. Thank you for your hard work. And thank you for the excellent question, Kelsey. And also, I'm sorry that your friends are tossing around the R slur like it's totally fine to say, because it's not. I mean, ideally, my answer for you, my advice would be to say, hey, could you not say that? Like, I know y'all don't mean it maliciously, and we're all friends here, but it's still a slur and makes me hurt to hear it. Love you, mean it. If we need to chat it out, let's go for it. Like, that. that is probably what I would advise you if these were close friends of yours. It is different from Misha's situation because Misha is dealing with her boyfriend. And this is a relationship where she is able to be direct and talk to him one-on-one about it. Of course, so far, he hasn't really been listening and learning. But in your situation, Kelsey, you're dealing with more peripheral relationships. And Obviously, I don't have a lot of details to go on, but it sounds like these are kind of lowercase f friends, friends who are maybe like a step or two above acquaintance. And ladies, please weigh in on this. But I do think that this situation, this conversation is a little bit trickier to navigate. Kelsey, before you figure out how you might want to say something, Put yourself first and decide what kind of emotional labor you're willing to do on their behalf and also whether it could impact your own mental health, just depending on how they might respond. And from there, sussing out maybe the right time and space where you feel the most comfortable to go ahead and make them uncomfortable. Because that will happen. There will be a moment of discomfort. Even if these were really close friends saying, hey, don't say that. That hurts my feelings. That should elicit discomfort. That is a a natural reaction. If they are not made uncomfortable by it, see also asshole. Again, I know nothing about these people. I know nothing about the exact relationship or the kind of environment that y'all are in when you are all around each other. If this is a scenario where... 
you see these people all the time because you all work in the same place or you go to school in the same place versus it being like a purely social thing where y'all are hanging out in more like casual settings by choice. And if you do care about them enough, Kelsey, and, and really want to say something, I think it's also worth setting your own boundaries beforehand on what exactly you want to share about yourself. I also recognize that it is much easier said than done. And I also do not think that you owe them a personal explanation for it. Because honestly, like no one, no one should need broader context for why they shouldn't say slurs in casual conversation. Like you do not owe it to them to share anything about yourself that you don't want to, that you don't feel comfortable with. Because in all of this, Kelsey, like you're doing them a favor. Even if it's one that they reject or they don't like, (laughs) you are the one doing the work here. And this is my long way of saying that your feelings in all of this are very much valid. And like on Lady Misha's situation with bitch, There's plenty of etymological context attached to the R word. So let's get in our word time machine and go back to the 1840s. This is a significant moment because it is when an American doctor named Samuel Gridley Howe put terminology to varying degrees of intellectual disability. Prior to that... All intellectual disability was just collapsed into one big stamp of defective. Now, to his credit, okay, Doc Howe was a white abolitionist and was what we would probably call a disability activist today. It seems like he had some really good intentions for helping marginalized communities, but with very 1840s execution. So what he did was name three categories from most to least severe disability. Those categories were idiots, fools, and simpletons. He brought those words into a more medical context. 50 years later, though, because society is fucking cruel, idiot had become derogatory. In 1895, it was swapped out because they were like, okay, this <laughs> this has now become a bad word, so let's get it out of our medical language and sub in the R word, which was a totally neutral word at that point. But of course, it too eventually was turned into an insult. And the thing is, like so many outdated terms, idiot, feeble-minded, moron. These words came preloaded with definitions of deficit. Yeah, okay, maybe it just was not a good idea to use words that regardless of context literally mean less than or defective to describe groups of people. So asking people to not use these words isn't about limiting language, but actually improving it. Can you imagine? But Kelsey, I did not know that the long-standing term 
mental retardation. That was used in U.S. federal law and education policy until 2010. 2010. That's when a bill called Rosa's Law was enacted by President Obama, and basically it went through the federal code. We got to do a control F for this term and sub it in. We got to do a control F for this term and replace it with intellectual disability. The Rosa of Rosa's Law is Rosa Marcelino, who has Down syndrome. Her parents spearheaded a national campaign to basically, you know, ban the term as an official designation. And this all started when Rosa was in elementary school and there was an update to her IEP or Individual Education Plan. And this is something that students with intellectual disabilities will receive. It's basically a customized kind of education plan for them. Rosa's IEP status was changed from, quote, other health impaired to, quote, mentally retarded. Rosa's mom, Nina, comes to the school meeting where she is informed of this update, and she is pissed, which led to a state law banning its use in Maryland government and public school education in Maryland government and public schools. And that paved the way for the federal bill that Obama signed into law. And I will say, I read an interview with Nina about this over at ESPN.com, where it does sound like there had to have been a bit of white and class privilege at play Because Nina said that the way that she reacted when she was informed of this update, she was rightfully upset about it. Okay, now I'm direct quoting Nina. I was blindsided. I mentioned that they probably would never call an African-American girl the N-word, and they were really uncomfortable with that. And on ladies, I don't think she said N-word in that meeting. Because she goes on to say... When you have those meetings, there's a transcript, and they write down everything you say, but they wouldn't put that in the transcript. And I said, see, it makes you uncomfortable. Same thing goes for the R word. To us, it's kind of equivalent. And you know what? I don't, you know, Nina, that's that's a bold claim to make. I will say that's a bold claim to make. Oh, oh, because I should say Nina, Nina's not black. And um, I guess the bottom line is privilege was maybe leveraged for Good, because Rosa's Law is a good thing. And it is why, I mean, that like, that's very recent history. But the thing about it is this one word is so connected to a much longer, crueler history of disability stigma, eugenics, white supremacy, like... For non-disabled, non-neurodivergent folks to say it like it's just no big deal, it is ignorant at best. And honestly, yeah, I do mean that as an insult. Okay, and ladies, (laughs) wow, my cheeks are hot. (sighs) That IEP meeting with Nina really took me to a place. Um, I would love to hear from y'all on everything in this episode an action-packed episode 
hello at unladylike.co is where you can send me voice memos. Do you have an advice request? Send them my way. I will possibly get too worked up about it. (laughs) I'll also link out to all of the podcasts I recommended at the beginning of this episode. I'll put those in the show notes. There's so much good stuff happening in the Unladies Room. That is the Patreon. And there have been some super fun exclusive interviews happening over there. So search Unladylike Media in the Patreon app or go to patreon.com slash unladylikemedia. And thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you unladies who support over there. It makes a huge difference. Because like I tell y'all at the end of every episode, Unladylike is an Unladylike Media production. Executive produced Hosted, written, and edited by me, Kristen Conger. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Until next week. 